I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, position filled. After a three-week vacancy, the House finally has a speaker. We have the latest from Capitol Hill. Plus, an exclusive interview with a presidential candidate. On the campaign trail. Well, I have 100% uh, thankfully pro-life voting record. I'm 100% pro-life conservative. I'm Eric Rosales in Des Moines, Iowa, where I sat down with South Carolina Senator and presidential candidate Tim Scott to discuss the issues important to Catholics. We are not alone. The Latin patriarch of Jerusalem addresses the faithful in Gaza in their time of suffering. And pass of peace. The Holy Father uses his general audience to advocate for the release of hostages in Gaza. Hear what he has to say. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of Saints Crispin and Crispinian. Our top story tonight, it took more than three weeks and four tries, but the U.S. House finally has a speaker and is now open for business. Earlier today, Republican Congressman Mike Johnson of Louisiana won the gavel 220 to 209, becoming the 56th Speaker of the House of Representatives. I believe that each one of us has a huge responsibility today to use the gifts that God has given us to serve the extraordinary people of this great country, and they deserve it. My office is going to be known for trust and transparency and accountability, for good stewardship of the people's treasure, for the honesty and integrity that is incumbent upon us, all of us, here in the People's House. 51-year-old Johnson is the first speaker from Louisiana. His election does not sit well with Democrats. Minority leader Hakeem Jeffries accuses him of being a right-wing ideologue. Mike Johnson wants to criminalize abortion care and impose a nationwide ban. Uh, Mike Johnson was one of the chief architects of trying to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Mike Johnson also wants to end Social Security and Medicare as we know it. Those are extreme views. A pro-life groups like Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, applaud Speaker Johnson, saying that he is a longtime defender of constitutional principles, chief among them the right to life. There is a long list of must-pass bills for Congress to deal with in a short amount of time, including aid to Israel and border security, and Republicans remain divided over Ukraine funding, but topping the list, passing a continuing resolution to fund the government beyond November 17th in order to avoid a shutdown. Representative Mike Johnson may not be a household name yet, but after today, that is bound to change. So who is Mike Johnson, the man now second in line to succeed the president? To tell us more, we go now to Dr. Matthew Green, professor of politics at the Catholic University of America. Dr. Green, great to have you back. Uh, we appreciate it. Uh, before we get into Speaker Johnson's background, I want to get your thoughts now that we finally have a speaker after three weeks. And did you think that Johnson would be the person. Uh, well, you know, he was he was up there on my list, but he is in many ways uh, an unconventional choice. He has not been in Congress that long. He has not been in leadership in a while. Um, he is uh, more conservative than your typical speaker. And so uh, in some ways, um, uh, he was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, you know, talk to us about what it means now that we do have a speaker in place, how we can move forward. And do you think that he can bring unity? 
Well, <laughs> there's unity between the parties and there's unity within the parties. Um, and uh, all speakers in the last 20, 30 years have struggled to have the two parties work together on big issues just because we're a polarized country. Um, I think the big challenge he actually has that's even more important is unity within his party. As we've seen with his predecessor, Kevin McCarthy, uh, when you've got a divided party, it's very, very hard to govern a speaker. And of course, the procedures of the House allow any one member to try to remove you. So I think that's going to be his number one goal is to try to keep the Republican Party unified. Yeah, let's talk about him specifically. I mean, what more do we know about the new speaker? And as we just heard, you know, he did receive very high rating uh, from the pro-life Susan B. Anthony list. That's right. So he's a constitutional lawyer, uh, and he served in the state legislature uh, from 2015 to 2017 before he was elected to Congress. Uh, he was also done. He's also done conservative talk radio, which, if you listen to his voice, it's not too surprising. He's got a voice for radio. Um, he has been in leadership in in the House of Representatives. He served on the. Um, the um, the uh, Republican conference as vice chair. He was also head of the Republican Study Committee, which is a group of um, which is a part of the party, uh, conservative uh, members of the party, uh, and served on Judiciary and Armed Services. And I think so. Members see him as um, legally um, well versed in constitutional principles, uh, very familiar with judicial and military issues. Um, but again, this is only his sixth year in Congress, and so um, there's a lot that people don't know about him that we're going to be finding out pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. What else do you think we need to know about him, and what do you see as maybe his biggest challenges? Well, I think one thing that hasn't gotten enough attention is the fact that he is a social conservative. Now, we've had Republican speakers who are socially conservative, but they often um, are seen as more fiscal conservatives, or they put other things sort of uh, higher on their priority. From what we can tell, um, the new speaker is very much a social conservative, conservative and he prioritizes things like abortion, uh, gay marriage, um, family issues. And that might mean that once he gets through all this budget, uh, these budget battles, uh, we might see some of those kinds of bills coming to the floor if they matter to him personally. But his big struggle right now is going to be trying to get appropriations through the House and keep the government open, and it will be a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think everyone's breathing a sigh of relief now that we finally do have a speaker. Dr. Green, great to have you on, as we said before, and we appreciate your analysis. My pleasure. Our former President Donald Trump has been fined $10,000 this after a judge says that he violated a gag order barring a personal attacks on court staffers. The former president says that his comments were directed at witness Michael Cohen. While hundreds took to the streets of Ramallah to protest against Israeli airstrikes in Gaza. All the demonstrators carried Palestinian flags in solidarity with Gaza. And in Tel Aviv, Israelis held a protest of their own, demanding the release of those taken hostage by Hamas. The participants held signs with the names and photos of those believed to have been captured. This comes as the United Nations warns that fuel is running low in the Gaza Strip and cautions that relief efforts will be reduced in the wake of the Israeli airstrikes. Well, Cardinal Pierre Batista Pizzaballa, the Latin patriarch of Jerusalem, has sent prayers to his, quote, dear ones in Gaza. In a video message, he offered his support and encouraging words. Yeah, I dedicate all my time in prayer, first of all, but also in dialogue with all the responsible in order to put an end to this situation as soon as possible and to support you as much as we can. And you remember me what is written in the Gospel of Jesus. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. 
Well, as the wars in the Middle East and Ukraine rage on, President Joe Biden welcomes Australia's Prime Minister to the White House. Mr. Biden emphasized Australia and the United States continue to stand together, while adding the alliance between both nations has never been more important than it is today. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, good evening to you. President Biden and Prime Minister Anthony Albanese stood side by side today. President Biden saying both nations, the U.S. and Australia, are committed to building a better future, including greater opportunity, dignity, security, and liberty. But current world events are making that a huge challenge. President Joe Biden holds a formal welcoming ceremony for the Prime Minister of Australia. Ceremonial troops marched across the South Lawn, and before a crowd of thousands, both men took to the podium. And we'll never forget those brave Australians and Americans who, generation after generation, gave their lives to give us a better world. When sadness and strife have cast a long shadow on our world, you understand that the task for all of us is to draw on the strength that hope instills. And as wars erupt around the globe. Together, we're standing with Israel against Hamas terrorism. We're standing with Ukraine against Putin's tyranny. Also on the agenda, a free and open Indo-Pacific. While the two leaders met in the Oval Office, President Biden recalled a discussion with China's president. Well, uh, I was asked by Xi Jinping a couple years ago why I was working so hard with your country. I said, because we're a Pacific nation. They looked at me and they said, yeah, we're a Pacific nation, the United States. And in the Rose Garden, President Biden once again addressed the war in the Middle East. Israel has the right, and I would add a responsibility, to respond to the slaughter of their people. And we will ensure Israel has what it needs to defend itself against these terrorists. That's a guarantee. Now, President Biden went on to say that Hamas does not represent, represent the vast majority of the Palestinian people. Also, separately tonight, we're told President Biden did call the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, to congratulate him, adding he looks forward to their working together for the American people. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including the power of truth. An exclusive interview with Republican presidential candidate Tim Scott. And the latest on a powerful storm ripping through Mexico. says abortions in the United States increased in the year after the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But there is a little good news for the pro-life movement. The report by the Pro-Abortion Society of Family Planning says in the 17 states that have a heartbeat bill or a total ban, abortions were down by nearly 115,000 and nearly one third of the overall decline is from the state of Texas. While many of the Republican candidates for the 2024 election are pro-life. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales recently traveled to Iowa, where he sat down with presidential candidate Tim Scott, a senator from South Carolina. They discussed some of the big issues facing America. I'm in Des Moines, Iowa, where I met with South Carolina senator and presidential candidate Tim Scott. He was talking with voters who were tailgating outside the Northern Iowa football game with Senator Chuck Grassley. Later, I caught up with him about the issues facing America in an exclusive one-on-one -on -one interview. 
Senator Scott, just want to say thank you for joining us. Absolutely, Eric. Good to be with you again. Talk to me a little bit about you are a positive messenger, one that gives something for others to look forward to in the future. You even quote scripture, but yet your two opponents who are leading you right now, they, they go after one another. Do GOP voters, do undecided voters want someone holding the Bible as president or driving the bulldozer? That's a great question. I think the answer is that they would love to have someone who understands the power of truth. And truth is a bulldozer, without any question. And so from my perspective, the more you are optimistic and positive and have a backbone and you're anchored in conservatism, your message will break through. And what we're seeing here especially is it's resonating. And that's a good thing. Let's get to the issues. Issue of abortion. You supported, co-sponsored the 15-week abortion ban. Even Susan B. Anthony, Pro-Life America, says that's a good start. Do you see any sort of compromise with this, or what's your policy on abortion? Well, I have 100 uh, percent, thankfully, pro-life voting record. I'm 100 percent pro-life conservative. As president of the United States, I would sign very conservative pro-life legislation, and that's why we start with the 15-week uh, limit across the nation. Creating the culture of life is how we win and are successful in saving more lives. Another issue that you're very strong on is school choice. Yes. School choice, we've seen an increase in enrollment in Catholic schools after COVID, yes. even during COVID. Do you see this as a broader issue that needs to be taken by the states, or is there a federal mandate that you can come up with? Wherever the kid goes, the money follows. There's no question that a quality education is really important. And frankly, as a result of COVID, we saw kids trapped and out of the classroom, but in Catholic schools, by and large, they were still in the schools. And the precipitous drop, the largest drop in test scores in American history came because of COVID. But the Catholic schools saw their numbers stay steady or even improve. That drastic contrast, it is alive for every American to see, and we want more quality education. And I can't think of a better example of that right now in America than Catholic schools. DACA is another big issue taking place right now. Thousands of kids are here. They want to become U.S. citizens. Even the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops calls for immigration reform. Is that something that would be part of your presidency? You know, I look in the past and I see that the coalitions have come together even under the former president, President Trump, put a deal together for Congress where you had DACA, border protection, and unfortunately it fell apart because without first dealing with the southern border crisis, it's really hard for us to get to step two and deal with any other issues. And so my position would be the same, that the most compassionate thing we can do immediately is to eliminate the threat coming from our southern border. That opens up the conversation for us to talk about a meritocracy in this nation as it relates to a border and as it relates to immigration uh, policy. Talk to me a little bit about how your faith 
has shaped your political decisions? You know, in uh, 2013, I came up with something called the Opportunity Agenda. And the Opportunity Agenda really is the, is my faith is embedded in my Opportunity Agenda. I'll give you a couple of examples. Number one, I believe that Matthew 25 tells us a lot about the cohorts of Americans who need specific and unique attention, whether it be widowers, or people who are incarcerated who need our attention. The fact of the matter is the gospel always leads us in the right direction of providing assistance. It says, when did I see you hungry and feed you? When did I see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did I see you naked and clothe you? As you've done unto the least of these, so you do it unto me. I think we have an opportunity, not just a responsibility, but an opportunity to live out that message. And of course, I do believe that, as the book of Proverbs reminds us, if you can do it for yourself, that is your responsibility. But for those who cannot do it for themselves, we have an opportunity to provide assistance. Senator Scott tells me that he's going to continue his message for a brighter future for America, and he believes voters will show up for him at the polls. In Des Moines, Iowa, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, false findings. That's how Beijing is framing the Pentagon's latest report on China's increasing military buildup. We'll talk to an expert. Plus, how Pope Francis advocated for peace during today's general audience. Our Category 5 hurricane ripped through Mexico's southern Pacific coast. The storm left a trail of damage in Acapulco, including destruction of property and landslides. Hurricane Otis has now weakened and is a Category 2. China calls the United States, quote, the biggest disruptor of regional peace and stability in the world. This in response to the Pentagon's recent report on Beijing's military buildup. The Pentagon report expands on a warning issued last year that China is rapidly enlarging its nuclear force. China's Ministry of Defense called the findings false and rebuked the U.S. military assistance to Ukraine and Israel, as well as its buildup of military installations worldwide. Joining us now is Gordon Chang, author of The Coming Collapse of China and the Great U.S.-China Tech War. Gordon, great to see you again, as always. Um, some strong words there from China. What do you make of all of this, and are you surprised by their response? I'm not surprised by the response, Tracy. There was a certain amount of boilerplate in it. Um, this time they said the report was exaggerated and that we were hyping up the threat. China always does that. You know, it's good that the Pentagon report this year was more candid than usual, um, and I really think that uh, we have a military right now that understands that China is a threat, but we are not preparing with the um, requisite uh, sense of urgency. So I hope that this report moves the generals and admirals in the right direction. Yeah, Gordon, I want to talk about uh, the war between Israel and Hamas right now. I mean, China never condemned the deadly attacks on October 7th, unlike the U.S. and the European Union, and nor did Beijing call it a terrorist attack by Hamas. Instead, China expressed sadness uh, about acts that harm civilians. And China also urged Israel to protect the safety of Palestinian civilians and to aid by international humanitarian law. Gordon, help us unpack this. 
Well, first of all, China tries to play both sides of that divide between Israel and the Palestinians. But when pushed to shove, it supports the Palestinians because it has the relationship with Iran. And Iran, of course, supports Hezbollah, Hamas, and the Houthis. I think that what China is trying to do here is create another proxy war. You know, the first proxy war is uh, Russia and Ukraine. What they're doing here is trying to bleed the United States. And we got to remember that Xi Jinping um, reveres Mao Zedong. Mao thought that creating chaos would eventually lead to worldwide Chinese rule. So that's what Xi Jinping is doing here. Yeah, in the meantime, China recently deployed six warships around the region in light of the escalating tensions. What do you think this signals? Well, um, they did this in Syria in 2013. And what they were signaling was to the United States and NATO, where we had deployed warships in the eastern Mediterranean, um, that uh, we would have to be very careful of uh, our response because China was willing to intervene. And I think they're basically doing the same thing right now. Um, so this is a replay of, replay of what we've seen before. And we've got to understand that they really can't project force there and that we have to protect Israel. We've got to evacuate citizens if that's necessary. And also, we've got to strike back at our enemies, because right now there's been about 15 attacks on American forces in Iraq and Syria over the last, say, week and a half. So right now, this is going to continue unless we um, impose some measures on those attacking us. Yeah. And Gordon, with this conflict in the Middle East heating up, I mean, some speculate that China may take advantage of this chaotic situation and use it as an opportunity to invade Taiwan. Um, your thoughts on that? I mean, do you think that's a possibility? It's a possibility, Tracy, but what we've seen on Sunday was China rammed two Philippine vessels at Second Thomas Shoal in the South China Sea. This was despite warnings from our State Department that we were prepared to use force to discharge our obligations to, to the Philippines under our defense treaty. And we haven't been deterring China. So China's just continuing to escalate. My sense is, and this is just a guess, that uh, a lot of Chinese generals and admirals think that Taiwan's too hard a target. So they're picking on a better target from their perspective, which is the weak Philippines. Gordon, we have probably about a minute left or so. But on a different note, I wanted to talk about this. California Governor Gavin Newsom is in China, and he met with President Xi Jinping today. What more do you know about this meeting, and why is Newsom there? I think that what Gavin Newsom is doing is he's running for president of the United States, even though he says he's not. Um, because he cannot affect China policy in any meaningful way. I, I think what he's just trying to do is show that he's got the chops to do this. This is his second visit to a head of state recently. And I think that that is very much in line with the sort of the campaign ads that we're going to be seeing in the not too distant future. Yeah, we'll see how that all shakes out. Gordon, great to be with you. Thank you so much for your insights as always. Thank you, Tracy. Paul Francis is renewing his appeal to release Israeli hostages and allow humanitarian aid into Gaza. At his weekly audience at the Vatican, the Holy Father said that he continues to pray for those who suffer and help for paths to peace. He also reminded the faithful that Friday will be a day of fasting, prayer 
and penance for peace. And just a reminder that EWTN is providing live coverage all week from the Synod on Synodality. The 45-minute broadcast from the Vatican starts at 5 p.m. Eastern. It features news analysis plus exclusive interviews with church leaders and Synod participants. So be sure to watch. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook X and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.